Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Welcome, folks. I'm recording this morning at the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever all-team meeting where we've got 400-plus of our employees gathering for the next few days uh, for conversations about the organization's strategic plans, the goals for the year ahead, and to share best practices for what's creating habitat in one state so we can better implement those practices in other states. And I think I've mentioned in the last couple of podcasts or um, recently that Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is surpassed only by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for employing the most biologists in the country. That's right. Only the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has more biology degrees on staff than Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Another fun fact out of these 400-plus folks uh, that are joining us here in uh, southeastern Minnesota this week, we have a total of 270 private lands biologists on our team. All state agencies combined, according to the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, have 481 private lands biologists. So if you do that math... We're 110 biologists away from having more biologists on the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever team than the entirety of all U.S. states combined. If that stat doesn't tell you that we are led by science, then I don't know what does. It's something that I'm incredibly uh, proud of in our organization. And to kick off this I'm going to do a series of podcasts over the course of the next few weeks um, that are all being recorded with that biologist team. And to kick it off, we've got Sam Lowry, who is our keynote speaker, a former biologist on our on our team, who is uh, with the Teller Wildlife Refuge now, and uh, he was the keynote speaker to two for 208 new folks this morning, just about an hour ago. So he's uh, he's he's coming in hot. He's he's all warmed up. Um, Enjoying me for this uh, for this episode are uh, Tom Fuller and Chris McClelland, uh, two guys that have been on the podcast. And uh, when I asked Sam, and you probably recognize Sam's name if you're a Pheasants Forever Quail Forever fan. Uh, he's he was the regional director for our western western regional director for the organization for. Oh, Seven years and, and recent author of a book, been on Meat Eater podcast recently, and we'll, we'll dive into that. But I asked Sam, All right, who do you want on the podcast with you? Who are you closest to? And, and he picked you guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to start. Tom, we'll start with your introduction. We'll move to Chris. Um, and as you talk about your introduction, I want uh, give me your thoughts on why uh, why Sam picked you. What? Because uh, I know you guys are all pretty tight buds, but um, maybe add an anecdote about uh, Sam for us. Yeah, well, thanks, Bob. Uh, Tom Fuller, and I'm uh, serving the organization currently as the director of field services. And 
I've been with uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever about 16 years now. So to see where we've come during that time, um, it, it's, it's that's just, a giant room in there, and it's only half. Of, it's the new employees. It's just the new employees, and you know, we've all been with this organization where we had half of that many employees total, and those are yeah. just ones we're onboarding. So it's it's amazing, humbling, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just incredible. But yeah, I. Had the pleasure of being uh, Mr. Lowry's colleague for about seven years, and um, we had a lot of good times. So I don't know if Sam is more of a, a mentor or an accomplice. So <laughs> I'm sure that might have been one of the reasons why he uh, asked me to join today. But you, His chest puffed up and cried. <laughs> yeah. I am both young. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, I, would, I would say mentor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a good balance of both. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, C-Mac. Yeah. Hey, Chris McLeland, um, Vice President of Conservation Delivery. Um, been with the organization here uh, about six and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, time time flies when you're having fun. Um, I'd have no idea why Sam <laughs> asked me to, to be in here today other than I, I hang on his every word, and he always has a, taken every opportunity. I've been very grateful for for this imparting wisdom on me anytime he gets the chance he's uh he's and i'm saying that jokingly but also serious too it's been uh it's uh he's never led me down a bad road and so i'm certain that he knew that i needed a little more polish a little more a a little more education so he wasn't going to waste an opportunity to get me in this room and and help continue to shepherd me along so i'm very grateful for that it you know, it, it's something when I asked Sam via email, you know, who, who do you want on the podcast? And it, 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 I got to believe it's pretty flattering, right? When somebody who <laughs> mentor or accomplice, <laughs> somebody you look up to, um, <clears throat> picks you like, yeah, that's a person that I like, I respect, and we have some good stories together. So thank you for both making time to step yeah. out of the room and, and uh, join the podcast. Without further ado, Sam. Yeah, it's kind of hard to follow those two. As, as uh, you can see, they are my top picks. <laughs> of course, the, this is like the NFL draft. Yeah, the list was few. Yeah. <laughs> what I can tell you about these two guys, though, when I worked with them and now continue to maintain a, a friendship, mm-hmm. is they always brought fun into the work. Mm-hmm. And that's a real key element of Fed's Forever and Quail Forever is is making sure that the work is fun. Mm-hmm. And that's why both these guys are here today, because we're probably going to have fun doing it. Well, good. <laughs> good. Um, you, you get your bolo tie up. Uh, you, you look very Western for this trip. You you come from the West, right? Yeah, I was, I was born in California. Uh, spent uh, my life there. I went to school in Humboldt. Northern California, and then spent 23 years in Arizona, mm. and that's kind of where I got got the West. I I was always said I was California a big, is West too, by the way. Well, it is, and a lot of people <laughs> think that I was surfing. And, I didn't uh, ever think that. You know, and I went to Humboldt State, where they said there was a lot of marijuana, and I never saw any of it. But uh, no, I, I I I would often tell people, you know. I wasn't surfing in California. The, the ocean was 47 degrees. You know, we were fishing, but I uh, had a great childhood there. My dad was, you know, my conservation mentor, got me interested in the outdoors. And 
I think at, at an early age, I knew I was going to get into the wildlife profession. Hmm. And then, as I, as I said, I went to Arizona Game and Fish for the bulk of my career, which uh, involved also becoming a game warden. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about that in pretty in-depth on the, the Meat Eater podcast with, with uh, Stephen Rinella about going to school for biology, right? And then somewhere along the way, um, you're like, oh, maybe I'll apply for this warden thing because there's not a lot of jobs in, in being a biologist. So yeah. Times have changed based on that room <laughs> out there, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's something that as, as a lot of biologists are going through school, really think that, ah, we don't want to get into law enforcement. Right? We'd rather be, you know, radio collar and elk or banding ducks and mm-hmm. or, or growing pollinators for upland game birds. And, and when I did it, it was 1984, uh, got all the credentials to become an officer, and then found that that piece of wildlife management is, is really important. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a bunch of guys violating laws for regulating wildlife populations, that's going to affect them. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I, I, I kind of got into it. And uh, with, with that, I, I wrote the book about, you know, various game warden cases that I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve Rinell, I've heard about it, I think, through a contact with Feds Forever. Well, he mentions that on the podcast that he had heard of your story, I think the mud puddle story, which yeah. I'm going to ask you about as we go here. Um, and he heard about that story and wanted to get you on the podcast and knew that you had left. Um, well, you'll you have to remind me where you came from before you joined PF, but um, he, he knew that there was a Pheasants Forever connection. So I was wondering uh, when he was talking about that, who from PF got you hooked up to, to Rinella? Well, I, I, again, I thought it was Fuller because he knows everybody. <laughs> and if he has an opportunity to talk about me, he does. <laughs> well, well, that was the other thing that I was thinking about because McClellan mentioned like every Monday he gets a call from you. Dang near, dang near. It is. It's it's one of those things. It's like, um, it uh, when the phone rings and Sam and Sam's on the other line, you do your best. You do your best to answer. You know, and so <laughs> so staying those kind. Now, it wasn't me. I didn't. I didn't give the. I didn't get the connection. I would have taken full credit if I had. Trust me. But it, it was not me. I but, think it was Matt Morlock. Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Talk to sure. somebody. But then it was funny because yeah, Cal are pretty good. Though. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Mm-hmm. And and Steve called me, and uh, you know wanted to know if I'd relay that story in in his audio book. Yeah, uh, just cold call, and and I, I yeah I'll, I'll go do that. Um, but it's funny because then you, you think of you know he's he's a personality, no doubt. And from that conversation of yeah I'll do that. You know, it was handed off to staff, oh, gotcha. you know, way below Lighting him. Up. And then I realized I was really somewhere on the, the scale of a toaster and a fern of importance. <laughs> oh, and, wow. And, and, and I went and did it. And it was uh, it was a fun experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to come back to that. Let's let's um, finish out your, your career trajectory. For you, you were sure. at Arizona Game and Fish as a warden. For twenty some years. Yeah, and so as a wildlife manager, uh, you're you're given a geographic area that you're responsible for, mm-hmm. and and it was a beautiful area in the in the White Mountains of, of Arizona, 
And I did that and then moved up the chain a little bit. I became a field supervisor. And then I went to the headquarters in Phoenix as, as more of an assistant to the director. And, and I was on staff of the North American Wetlands Council. I was on the Pacific Flyway and different huh. committees with the International Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, which has changed its name now. But um, So I ended up my career in the Phoenix headquarters and and yet maintained my law enforcement credentials so I still was involved with that but had a had a whole series of of jobs within that state agency okay. it was a good 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 gig and where did you leap from that to pheasants forever no so I left that and became the coordinator for the Intermountain West Joint Venture okay I remember that okay which is you know a habitat delivery mechanism for partnerships in 11 western states mm -hmm. and I did that for a couple years and then just decided to slow down a little bit I had a family and I was traveling a lot and rarely home so I went to work uh, at the Teller Wildlife Refuge as their biologist which lasted about five years until I was uh, reached out to by Rick Young mm. about joining Pheasants Forever as they were developing kind of the Western Farm Bill program. and How do you, how do you and Rick know each other? So Rick was on staff with the North American Wetlands Council oh, okay. uh, when Dave Nompson was the council member. Sure. And so we knew each other uh, working in D.C. on, on NACA. Uh -huh. And so he, he reached out to me, and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll entertain that. And, and ended up staying seven years with... PF and QF, which which I will say, I mean, it was it was a highlight of my career, uh, working for this organization, um, because of the young people that I addressed this morning. Yeah, that energy is contagious. Yeah, and yeah. they're out there delivering it every day, and in spite of the leadership of these. Two. <laughs> <laughs> One of the stories that again, relating back to the the podcast with uh, uh with Stephen in, in Mediator, you said in this book. Um, that you you wrote and, and the title is Stories of the Past in Arizona Game Ranger Remembering the Outlaws. You, you said that you wrote that book during meetings like this in the hotel room so you'd stay out of trouble um, at the watering hole. And I'm here to say call I'm called bullshit on that. Because <laughs> when I heard you tell that lie on Meteor, I'm like, this son of a gun, there's no way he's ever skipped a watering hole. I mean, what do you, did you guys listen to the podcast? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And were you on your in your vehicle almost swerving off the, into the ditch like, this is bullshit. He didn't write this book in I, a hotel room during Pheasants Forever I, meetings. I just kept thinking, I don't know if i was at that meeting yeah, yeah. it was absurd and, and sammy's well known for his uh well we call it the sammy sneak uh -huh. and it's kind of his irish goodbye at the watering holes but uh, <laughs> it was straight to the pillow not to the typewriter i will <laughs> i will say too i i uh i uh deployed that move last night with some of the the new folks on on board and as a you know as a homage to you <laughs> who snuck earlier and uh, the amount of grief I caught about that this morning was incredible. So how how great is it? It comes full circle that I get to explain <laughs> what that move is, and then they get to see you up there. So, well, you know, it's funny, Bob. You mentioned that because I I had several people reach out to me and and call BS on that comment. <laughs> 
<laughs> and yet it, it really was it was it was real that at the watering hole sometimes uh, these two would be creatures of excess <laughs> and i these would wanna, two? oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about mr fuller and mcclellan okay that uh, they would and so being kind of a more restrained individual that i am mm-hmm. clearly i saw an opportunity to go up to the room mm-hmm. and and type away but i will say that, that and it's important the sneak, which is really known as the Crawford sneak, was devised that when you're at a big gathering, mm-hmm. as soon as you say, okay, I'm, I'm heading out, everybody gives you trouble, uh-huh. and you end up having to stay. Yep. So the sneak more, is you just disappear. Yep. And uh, I'm glad to hear, Chris, that you've obviously adopted the sneak. Perhaps uh, Dr. Fuller over there could learn it. Well, <laughs> the, the great thing about that is to this day, Sammy has never picked up a bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. So are, are you trying to claim there's a kernel of truth to the fact that uh, some of this book was written in hotel rooms on the evenings after uh, or during Pheasants Forever meetings? I'm trying to avoid any deception. <laughs> Since when? So it possibly there there is a small bit <laughs> where I typed away. Yeah, but I, I it was all in the essence of team building. Yeah. I stuck around. So here yeah. here's a here's a very personal question for you. Uh, also in the Meat Eater podcast, as you were talking about outlaws, and you didn't want to use outlaws names for. For whatever reason, right? You don't, potentially they, it's their, uh, they could come back to you, right? Or, right. or um, um, there's, a, a, um, I don't know, statute of limitations on protecting sure. their, their name. But you always use the name Bob as the outlaw. <laughs> Is there anything I should take away from that? No, <laughs> no. I, I mean, that would be a tremendous stretch to associate you with anything less than full ethics. So I, I know. I, I think I did that just because uh, it was a simple, common name right. that you could just relate to rather than identifying some of these people that are still alive and might not necessarily like me. Yeah, makes sense. All right. So I'll come back to, to have you tell us a little bit about the book, but I want you to tell us your message against some people's better judgment. Uh, you were invited to speak to all of our new employees <laughs> this morning. Uh, so 200, what do we say? 208 new employees and a lot of them biologists. I mean, yeah, it's yep. gotta be vast majority. 95%. Like, I know we have a videographer in there and a graphic designer, but it's, it's almost entirely uh, farm bill biologists, habitat specialists, coordinating biologists. Sam, what was, what was your message? What, what was your goal today when you got up in front of uh, that audience? Well, first of all, I, I guess I owe Chris uh, a, a gratitude for thinking about inviting me to come talk, which, which uh, it means a lot to say if you can come back and address 200-plus new employees there must be some truth to your messaging, despite your deception in the <laughs> hotel room. So I, I gave it a lot of thought on, mm-hmm. on what 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 message do I want to give, and what I kind of came up with is I, I'm pushing 40 years or over 40 years in the wildlife conservation profession, 
uh, working for state agencies, the Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, non-governmental organizations, and what can I bring to that group of generally young people mm -hmm. um, some little hits of wisdom of, of managing their career and also trying to capitalize or motivate them on working for this organization. Mm -hmm. um, so what I, I, I kind of came up with a theme of, of encouraging each and every one of them, whether they were a biologist or perhaps a, a, a headquarters uh, position, to be a conservation warrior. That Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever people in the past, and, and hopefully this new group, are innovative. They come up with ideas. They're unique. They charge forward. Mm -hmm. And, and as a result of that, deliver conservation, I think, at a level that no one can match. <clears throat> so that was my message. I, 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 I condensed, uh, obviously, a lot of material in 40 minutes or so to, to try to keep them entertained, humor them a little bit, but, <laughs> but motivate them that this organization is, is a fantastic opportunity for you to launch your career but you're the one responsible for, for making it what it's going to be. And, and be a warrior. Mm. Get after it. When you think back on your 40-year career, and you're still working, yep. right? You're, you're back at Teller. Yep. Um, what, are, what are the top one, two, three things that come to your mind where it's like, hell yeah, I was a conservation warrior that day or that moment? You know, that's a hard question to really single out. I, I think if, if I look at it from the standpoint of working for a state agency, it's probably mentoring young game wardens mm -hmm. and making sure that they can make a difference. And, and yet there's obviously all kinds of rules and regulations in a law enforcement manner that you have to adhere to. But firing them up to to really get after the bad guys mm. um, was was definitely a highlight in the state agency you know shifting to, to pheasants forever and quail forever i think it was being surrounded and the opportunity to hire mm. young people that are smarter than me and and to surround yourself with them and, and as i said i think just that energy to to put more energy in those people to deliver conservation was a highlight. And I saw it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I didn't prep you at all for that question, right? What's your conservation warrior moment? But asked a similar question of Susan Feligi, who's a professor at uh, University of North Dakota and new member of our national board. Um, very similar question. What, what do you want to, <clears throat> what's your kind of your goal perspective on being a professor? And similar parallel to your answer, it's, it's teaching and imparting some wisdom in helping grow the next generation of conservationists, whether that's as a professor, whether that's as a mentor to these two chuckleheads to my left, right, or, or to the 200-plus folks that you talk to. It's, it's whether it's, uh, you know, Bill Walsh and the San Francisco 49ers coaching tree, you know, we all want to sort of leave a legacy. And one of the ways that over time we, I think, all come to terms with it is it's it's not any one thing that we all are going to do. It's how we impart and motivate and inspire 
a mass of people that we can influence. And, and that's very similar to your answer to, to a professor in North Dakota that you likely never met. Probably never. Right? Oh, that's nice to hear. What, what about you guys? Did you think the message that, that I gave was, was received? Yeah, I mean, borderline inappropriate, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, we talk a lot about work magic, and that's a phrase that, you know, you uh, explored and, and shared with the group about, you know, the, recognizing these special times throughout our career, our career where, you know, all the stars kind of align and um, how to really cherish that and look for that. And, you know, when I reflect on, you know, my time with the organization, um, you know, the seven years that, you know, we all served the organization as regional directors was definitely uh, part of that work magic for me that I'll always reflect back on. And it, it was a really unique dynamic because we were, we were really starting to explode at that point in regards to hiring um, wildlife professionals. And um, that group of us, you know, there was uh, – you know, it was a little competitive. We pushed each other, and we were all trying to become the herd bull, which Sammy took claim to. And um, but <laughs> that uh, wasn't a term that you kind of coined in the organization. Isn't it? Well, yeah. They, they, <laughs> well, yeah. These guys uh, achieved uh, pretty much the satellite bull yeah. status. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, when I look back at it, you know, you can measure, you know, acres and access, and but. I think a lot of the, the magic that came from our group during that time was just the laughter yeah. and we just had so much fun. And, uh, in the, in this role, we don't, we don't get to make habitat. We don't get to work with landowners or new hunters, but we get to help people that are actually doing the work be successful. And, and Sammy really shared that well today. I couldn't agree more. For one thing, I was going to say, it's nice, you know, to, to, just double down on calling Sam a professor. So that's, mm. that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's incredible. But, but two, you know, um, I think if you, as Tom said, you know, when you, when you get to a certain point, it's, it isn't about the habitat it is, it is about, mm. it is about the next generation of conservationists. And, um, you know, having, having Sam in the room today was, was really about his persona, his energy, mm. someone who's been there and done it. And one thing I've always respected and and appreciated immensely about about you, Sam, is didn't matter the challenge; it was never too big. It was just, you know, here's what we got to do. Here's where we're gonna. Here's where we're gonna go, and here's how we're gonna get there. And um, and take responsibility to help get yourself there. And I think that's, uh, you know, if we we say you can dream it, if you can dream it, you can do it here. Yeah. Um, but it takes you taking that first step right and um he's been there and he's done that he's an example of that and was able to get that across today and i i felt like the energy was was great in that room and and uh that's some of the best advice i ever got and i think you know the time that we shared together what i remember aside from the laughter which tom's completely <laughs> spot on about is uh and whether these guys know it or not um I really personally sat there pretty starry-eyed a lot of the time, just mm. trying to take it in. Um, number one, not really – still learning about what the organization was about. Right. These guys set really good examples for me to understand what it could be mm. if I had the confidence to embrace it, sure. which 
requires some vulnerability. You know, you're a little insecure, and you know, you know, and these guys help me get through that. Um, but also, um, you know, just uh, you know, just really embracing that you can, if you can dream it, mm. you can go, you can go do it. And so, um, so I sat there pretty starry eyed and really trying to take as much in. And I've learned a lot from from these from these two guys, and I learned more today. You know, good. Good. Definitely, definitely several new one-liners for sure. <laughs> In your book, you talk about being able to read um, outlaws, right? And you, and you talk about this on the Mediator podcast too. About you know, uh, you tell a story about if you know somebody is a violator, and you call them up at where you're like, "Can I, can I meet with you?" They're like, "Well, yeah. How about after work?" and then you, you know instantly that they're guilty because they don't ask you why, right? <laughs> yeah. So I want to flip that a little bit and think about, um, so you kind of have these tells figured out, poker tells with the outlaws. Do you have tells in the conservation world where you encounter hurdles? Now, you know, not outlaws, but hurdles. Like as CMAX says, you know, it's like no no obstacles overcome. We just sort of a bit of a mindset. How do you apply that outlaw, cracking warden mindset to the conservation world? Is there <laughs> is there is there tells that you figured out in conservation to uh, solve problems? Is that the longest winded yeah. question? But <laughs> what, does that make sense? What would Matt Dillon do? Yeah, well, he'd backhand him. That's what he does. <laughs> he, he just, you know, it's a it's a great. Great question. I, you know, I think what it boils down to is being able to to read people mm-hmm. and recognize, you know, what level of communication, whether they're being deceptive, and and you know, I've often said this. I mean, given sufficient motive, anybody can lie. Mm-hmm. So even an agency uh, person might not tell you the truth. Okay. About a program or a landowner might not want to tell you the truth about something going on on his property. Shoot shovel and shut up. There you go. And a lot of that occurs, you know. And, and so I think being able to use some of those law enforcement skills, which, you know, from, from the law enforcement brotherhood, you know, you don't want to give away all these tips because sure. <laughs> the bad guys would know what to do. Uh, sure, but you can. You mm-hmm. can. You can kind of read people and mm-hmm. and and use that, even though it's not, you know, a a law enforcement violation. Sure, the stakes are different. Yeah, it's a stake, but you're still going. Is this is my message getting across to this person, mm-hmm. or why aren't they telling me the truth? Don't react to it. Don't mm-hmm. say, hey, Bob, you're, you know, you're not being truthful. <laughs> Look at a way to go around and finally get, you know, the answer you're seeking. But your flag goes up. Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, how can I get the right answer I want? So, and I often, you know, you sit there and you talk about <coughs> techniques for determining whether someone's telling you the truth or not, whether it's in violation mode or, or in, in a work mode. And, and. They're very similar. Mm. They're they're very similar. Don't ever use it on your family. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know where the line is. Well, I had four daughters, and when they went to, you know, high school or something, and Daddy interrogated them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best rule of thumb here: always say, you know what? Just tell me the truth. You'll never get in trouble for telling the truth. Huh. 
the truth, the action, there might be some consequences. Sure. But if you lie to me, now you're going to get in trouble for lying, and I'm going to be able to tell that you lied. So, and put that fear into him, no matter if you have the skill or not. <laughs> so, were you the father that sat at the door with a shotgun when the prom date showed up? Yeah, and probably you'll have to edit this, but I used to just say, Johnny, have a good time, take her to the movies, have her home by 10, but whatever you do to her, I'm going to do to you. <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> All right, let's go to the book. Uh, we, we've touched on the book a lot. Um, where where'd this idea come from? Where'd you decide? When did you decide? Like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book at meetings. At meetings. <laughs> it's forever nights. <laughs> when these guys were tabulating all the acres done, <laughs> when somebody else was paying the bills. <laughs> exactly. Well, Tom has bought a round or two, but uh, no, I used to tell stories about some of the more interesting cases I worked on. And, Every time I did so, you got to write those down. Mm-hmm. You know, your kids are never going to hear those again, and mm-hmm. they're they're fun. And so I, I just said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to quit talking about it. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And and so while they were going into the watering hole, I went up to the room and plugged the computer <laughs> in and just typed away. And it took about a year to write. Yeah. Yeah. It was it fun? Yeah, I think it was fun because it, it not only required me to do a little research on, you know, what notes and things that I kept, mm-hmm. but I also reconnected with a, a lot of old Game and Fish colleagues to to kind of, hey, wh- remember that case we worked on? Yeah. And, and there were some of them as, as, as you age, and I said to the audience this morning, we we begin to decompose. Mm-hmm. You don't remember everything. Mm-hmm. So I, sure. I did have to reach out to a lot of people for some of the, the more specifics, but uh, that, that was a lot of fun to write. What was the story that sticks out as, <laughs> when you think back, you know, that was my favorite. Is, is there one that just, if you're going to point people to read in your book? Well, you know, so if you listen to the uh, meat eater, the one about the mud puddle, mm-hmm. uh, that, that one, uh, even if I tell it to you today, still raises hair on the back of my neck. Is that right? It still does, because it was, you know, one where I, I I was an inch away from losing my life. Um, but the one that I, I guess I, I remember really kind of brings a smile to my face was, I, I don't remember the chapter title, but it was a it was a real kind of a rough Western bad guy that was illegally taking bears and lions. And, uh, you know, I had found where he had poached a, a bear and I found all the casings at the scene, shell casings. Mm. But I and I knew he did it through an informant, but I couldn't pin it to him. And uh, as I say in the story, I ran into him out in the field because he littered a chewing tobacco can. And upon that contact, I saw the pistol on his dash, dashboard that was the, the gun used in the bear. Okay. And so I just started a conversation to him about, hey, let's not litter anymore. And oh, by the way, I noticed that it's at a nine millimeter. And he said, yeah. And I said, we're switching over to those. Would you mind if I shoot it? And so I, I yeah, he take it, put a beer can up, and I acted like I missed it because I wanted to see where the casings were going. Anyway, I, I, I shot his gun several times, and then he did, and we, I bid him farewell. 
and uh, collected the casings and sent them off to the crime lab. Mm. And of course, they came back as a match, which then I went and knocked on his door. Mm. And he referred to me as a coyote bastard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was it was one of those where you kind of had to outsmart the bad guy. Yeah, and, right on. Uh, it was fun doing it, but yeah, he's still alive and he's kind of a mean dude. So I'm laying low. The uh, <laughs> the mud puddle story, which is um, a meat eater campfire story. So it's an audio book. You have to to pay. There's a paywall to listen. And I would encourage anybody. To, to sign up. So you don't have to give away that story. We'll let uh, Mediator own that. But um, I, I was curious, is that, per- and you mentioned it was life and death. Is that person still alive? Probably. Hmm. Probably. I, you know, I, I, I honestly don't know. But, okay. you know, and, and, and with my experience with incarcerated people, yeah. uh, they're probably still alive, yeah. huh. you know, somewhere. Uh, any stories related to, to upland birds that are uh, make you make you giggle? You know, we we didn't have a great. I mean, a lot of quail hunting in Arizona, sure. um, but really the the ones that uh, I guess you could throw into that category are doves. Mm-hmm. And Arizona was, you know, really a hot spot for. I mean, we'd have fifty thousand small game hunters come in for opening day of dove season. Sure, and. Uh, there, and we'd often be called out of our areas to go work a dove concentrate like Yuma. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's a story in the book about that, too, about working undercover. And you'd, you'd pull up in the morning of opening day before shooting hours and just park and listen. And you, you'd want to hear a group of guys kind of like Fuller and McClellan, <laughs> just hooting and hollering and getting sure. ready and having fun sure. and probably already imbibing. Uh-huh. And you'd, you'd locate them and uh-huh. then go kind of infiltrate and watch, you know, and, and you just keep a little notebook and you're in plain clothes, in this case hunting attire. And, and then as soon as they start doing bad things, you, you make note of it all and then go down and, throw a uniform shirt on and approach him. Mm-hmm. And when, when I did that, the one guy I busted for shooting, a Nighthawk and a mm. Kestrel and several Swallows, uh, when I approached him and I watched where he, he buried him, and I went over and, and, and accused him and said, you know, I need to talk to you about these species you shot. And he said, no, that, the guy over there with a cowboy hat, he's the one who shot. Well, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, so you, you could have a free fall with uh, dove hunts. Uh-huh. Quail, though, be even as active and as popular as it was. Uh, and I'll just say this, that the, the quail hunters, are, there's more of a higher bar of ethics. Mm. You know, they're out there, they're dogs and Right, and I mean, you got to right. bust your ass to get yeah. to them, so yeah. it's not like you have an opportunity to just whack a couple every yeah. mile, right? Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, if folks want to, to learn a little bit more about your book, maybe buy it, how do you um, direct them? Well, I guess, I, in fact, some young biologist came up to me this morning after I talked and said, hey, we Googled you and your book comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that that's uh, having a, a lack of knowledge in social media. Google <laughs> Sam Lowry, yep. L-A-W-R-Y. There's also a porn star in France with that name. <laughs> so don't, don't no think relation. That, that's not me. <laughs> but uh, then there's an Instagram account that my daughter set up, which is 
at Sam dot Lowry, mm-hmm. and on that is a click, a link to buy the book, and then we just submitted an audio version, okay, which was narrated by me. Quite an exercise to go through. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to do it again. We got to get you on Amazon. Then we could really move some volumes. Well, I don't know what she, the the gal that did the audio version, I think, said it's going to Audible. Okay, perfect. And is being reviewed now. So uh, um, that's that's the spiel on the book. Any idea how many have sold? I, you know, after that Meat Eater podcast, I I had to pay Uncle Sam, put it that way. Well, good. Good for you. Yeah, which I didn't quite understand because he didn't write it. (laughs) (laughs) If folks are looking for it, uh, Stories of the Past, 1984 to 2004, an Arizona Game Ranger Remembering the Outlaws by Sam Lowry, L-A-W-R-Y. Uh, what's next for you, Sam? You, you, I know you're still working. You going back to Teller? Well, yeah. I, so I currently am the director there at Teller and enjoying it. Uh, that little spark of retirement keeps keeps kind of staring at me. Mm. Uh, wife and I have all our kids out of college now and, and uh, just built a cabin down on a creek an hour from us. In Montana? Uh, in Montana. Mm-hmm. And you can fly fish right out your door. and. Mm. So that little part uh, may be around the corner. Uh, for, you got a you got a bird dog these days. I have a lab. Okay. Which is me is the only dog, which will probably get me in trouble. But yeah, I do, you're a long time waterfaller, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got a lab. His name is Kino. I want a pot playing Kino and bought him with it. Huh. I spent huh. money in spite of Fuller's accusations that I'm tight. <laughs> I actually did, but right now, Bob, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm spending more time kind of doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I teach a class at the university. Oh, really? Uh, university career, of Montana? Yep. Okay. In careers in wildlife. Huh. And help that those young people pursuing um, a degree in wildlife, you know, what, what to look for and what to do to prepare yourself for a job. And I, I love that. Mm-hmm. And so if I can continue in any regard of – speaking and trying to to help young people mm. navigate this career i'll do that for years to come so if folks <clears throat> want to uh talk to you about coming out to their state agency or nonprofit, how do they reach you uh, other than instagram so instagram at sam.lowry yeah um any other way you want people to contact you you know right now because i'm still employed with teller wildlife refuge I would say that's a little premature. Okay. When, when I, if I retire and mm. start some kind of a, a little business, maybe I, I would promote that. Okay. Um, but you know, as for now, if if there's a state agency that's looking at information to prepare the next generation in conservation work, uh, they can get a hold of me through the Teller Wildlife Refuge gotcha. um, in Corvallis, Montana, and as part of our mission which is to equip the next generation mm-hmm. with a conservation ethic, it falls right in line with that. And you said your one of your daughters set up the Instagram account. So was it one of the daughter's ideas for Warden Wisdom Wednesday? Yeah. I know it's not yours. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she, like I said, again, went to say you got to have an Instagram account. And, and basically, Dad, you need followers. 
<laughs> and, and I said, I don't, what, what do I got? I got uh, McClellan and Fuller right now. <laughs> and so I actually called Tom and okay. said, Tom, I have an Instagram account, which he was familiar with because he's very young. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll follow you. Uh-huh. And then I'll get the word out for people to follow you. And I, th- I think I ended up with like 13. Yeah. <laughs> and so it really kicked Climbing. off. It really kicked. But Amy is my, my one of my twin daughters. Mm. And she set that up and managed it, and now is is shifting from kind of warden wisdom, which is still the title, mm-hmm. to tips in careers in wildlife. Okay, oh, cool. very nice. Yeah, so we're we're moving that, and okay. and and she says, Dad, you need to get more followers. <laughs> well, let's get you some more followers. Instagram, <laughs> Sam dot Lowry L A W R Y. Tom, what's your Instagram? Tommy, what's your Instagram, buddy? You know, I've taken a hiatus from uh, You got an account, though. I do. You don't remember it? I don't. I, I, I know you have it, though. I, it's like C-Mac Bio or yep, something. Yep, i got to look it up, actually. It, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to help I know, you. I know. Well, but we're, what we've learned from Sam, though. I mean, what do you what do you expect? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's yeah. C-Mac Bio 83. <laughs> Yeah. C-Mac Bio. 83. 83. Yeah. Is that the year you were born? It is. No kidding. Yeah. The year yeah. of the Oriole. You know. I'm, Baltimore Orioles won the World Series. I know. Year, I, I know. Think. I knew where you were going with that. I think you're right. Cardinals, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Tigers won in 84. Yeah. Nope. That's, that's, that's my year. Uh, guys, I've sort of dominated the conversation. <laughs> you have questions for Sam uh, about the book, about his career, about his talk that we missed? No, not really. I, I – uh, was just sitting here thinking, um, you know, a thousand stories going through my head, and just just through the through the years. And there was one that sticks out with me, and it was uh, it, you heard Sam mention herd bull hmm. earlier. So this is a real thing. Um, a lot of backstory to to, to that, hmm. but uh, Sam's last day with with the organization we had a staff meeting at the cities mm. and um and sam and i would cover a lot of mutual country together so if we were going to travel you know would call sam and uh say slammer you know hey i'm going to get to i'm going to get to uh you know minneapolis my flight lands at such and such a time you want to catch a cab mm. to the office and uh so in this case we did and we were like yeah we're going to meet up we'll, sh- we'll share a ride well, i had a conference call that started right when i landed Hmm. and uh get this cab <laughs> we get this cab and it's not very big you know and i'm six four you're six four probably you know big guy and anyway i'm on this phone call and i don't even think about it i just get right in the front seat mm. sit down and the look if looks could kill he looks mm. at me and he's just like what in the hell are you doing mm-hmm. i'm the herd bull mm-hmm. and i didn't budge <laughs> <laughs> he sat in the back seat with his knees up against his ears the entire time, just just cussed. And uh, I never got to close the loop with you on that. That made my day. That was. <laughs> oh, I you, do. You always, like, if somebody steps out of line, you never shy away from calling them on it. No, immediate uh, retribution. Immediate. <laughs> 
it, and, and in my opinion, it builds character. I mean, look at he's, he's his whole career is lifted. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know where you stand with Sam. Yeah, but I do recall that though. What are you thinking getting in the front seat? I think it was something like that. And the, what is incredible about the whole thing is it was completely not. You know, it was unintentional, but I went with it because that's what well, I asked myself. What would Sam have done? Yeah. Sam would not have moved out of the front seat. No. <laughs> no, not one bit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, man. A lot of great memories. You know, I, I'm excited for the audiobook to come out because mm-hmm. I think there's a few chapters that didn't make the print. And um, we'll be, we can cover those after the podcast ends here. But uh, uh, no, you know, the, a memory of Sam that's etched in my mind was had nothing to do with, with work. It was, uh, uh, Sam uh, and Matt O'Connor um, mm-hmm. and myself uh, sitting in a, a little boat in a cove in Kodiak, Alaska, and uh-huh. and uh, Sammy singing to the whales, and, uh, huh. and maybe he can do a little bit of that for us. <laughs> uh, if I remember, I, there was a there was a whale, right? Yeah, circling around. And I said, I've got a whale of a tail, a tail, a whale of a tail or two. I'd fly and fish in a night like this. Sky was blue, whale of a tail, and that's all true. I swear by my tattoo. <laughs> that was it. That was will, it. Will you be the narrator of the audiobook? Do yeah, you know? yeah. Are, are you going to be? Well, I am. You are? Yeah. Okay. As I said, it was really kind of a hard exercise to go through. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I did that. So Okay, so it's been recorded already. It's been recorded. No kidding. Yeah. Well, you do have the voice for it. Well, that's what they say, but I, I don't know. <laughs> when you, you know, you see a picture of yourself, you don't like it. Uh-huh. When you hear yourself, you don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. Well, I mean, your whole life you've been compared to Sam Elliott, right? That's a good point. That's a good point. And but it is the voice and the look. Well, and if you saw him in his latest movie, 1883, okay, uh, 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 I still think he's he's one of the all-time studs of the West. <laughs> his, and I, I want to meet him. His, uh, oh, you see, you never met him. I've never met him, and I want to meet him because I get called, and I don't look like him. Other than maybe the stash. I would say I would say I would say Circa Roadhouse, mm-hmm. really? without a doubt. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you're I, kind of the Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. I, I I appreciate that. I uh, I was <laughs> correct. I kind of <laughs> broke your train of thought. Sorry correct me if that. I'm wrong, though. Sam Elliott's dad, fish biologist for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Really? I'm huh. pretty. I'm pretty sure somebody huh. can fact check me on that. But I think in California. I'll so, be darned. I think so. Well, I hope he's listening to this, and then I'm sure he is. Sure, it's uh, <laughs> probably number one thing. <laughs> you just never know. No, <laughs> Sam uh, Elliot. You can follow Sam Lowry at Sam Lowry on Instagram and direct message you. There you go. You'd like to meet him? Yeah, I want to meet him because you are a bit of a doppelganger. A doppelganger? Yeah. What's that? Really? Really? Yeah. Look alike. Look alike. Oh, yeah. well, I don't know. A twin. Well, that's a compliment because he's a stud. Yep. yep, he's a stud. Yeah. Uh, as we as we wrap up, closing thoughts. Uh, Warden Wisdom Wednesday. Did I get him in the right yeah, order? Yeah, Warden Wisdom Wednesday. Warden window, Wisdom yeah. Wednesday. <laughs> How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck chuck chuck wood? Um, <laughs> a- any final thoughts for for our listeners? Uh, the pheasants forever and quail forever audience, which you spent uh, seven yeah. years working. 
Well, yeah, I guess uh, first I, I thank you and, and these guys for, for this opportunity. It's kind of fun. I, I, and I thought about that going and said, listen to your audience and then linking that to, to what message I tried to deliver to this group of young people today. And, and it just, it, it's such an energy lift to see 200 plus biologists getting ready to go begin their career mm -hmm. and deliver conservation on the ground. And as you said in the beginning of this, which is a, an unbelievable statistic about the number of biologists is the second best only to the Fish and Wildlife Service. Yeah. So for the average member of PF and QF, recognizing that this organization has got that kind of a work uh, force, yeah. uh, work's getting done. And, and your support of conservation through PF and QF is a dollar well spent. And I can attest to that by seeing this young group of warriors getting ready to go to battle. Yeah, right on. And, you know, you guys have all done these interviews and often, you know, there's, you know, there's 50 candidates, 100 candidates, <coughs> and you got to pick one. And it, it does provide you with some positive outlook on the future, doesn't it? When, you, when you're like, okay, Boy, how do I just pick one? Because there's there's a lot of hope out there in this millennial generation with the young biologists that are entering the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. I've been conducting a series of interviews for some vacancies, and you know the 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 talent out there is incredible, and that's remained consistent. But an ongoing theme of they want to do meaningful work, yeah. and you know. We work for a nonprofit. You yeah. forsake, you know, some financial uh, treasures in that regard. But um, no, it, it's exciting. We got a, a young uh, generation of conservation warriors that are ready to mm. fill in. The message was, you know, and it has been through these guys for the years, and it was yesterday and today. It's um, we're going to put you in the best possible position to make a difference. You're going to have that opportunity, and um, and that message, I think, was well-received. And when you can feel the energy in the room, it's, it's contagious. And, and these folks will make a difference. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, the staff we hire tomorrow will absolutely make a difference. And it's, uh, it's just fun to be a part of it. Yeah, 40 years. 40 years we've been around. And for <coughs> all 40 of those years combined, we've spent 90 cents on the dollar has gone directly into the ground to create habitat. So, you know, we're, we're employing good people and we're putting those dollars to where whether those dollars are coming in through corporate um, sponsorships, membership dues, donations through the Call the Uplands campaign, a grant, 90 cents on the dollar hitting the ground for habitat and uh, um, creating more opportunities to be a conservation warrior. Sam? Thank you for being a conservation warrior <laughs> your whole career, but especially during uh, your seven years with this organization. It was an honor to work alongside you, and I'm so thrilled for you to, to have this book out and uh, getting some, some uh, wide acclaim for your fun <laughs> stories. That's pretty cool. Bob, thanks a bunch. Thanks, Tom and Chris, for joining me on this. And I only ask that you invite me back sometime because uh, i got to go up to my room and type some more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, stories of the past. 
1984 to 2004, an Arizona game ranger remembering the outlaws. And I'll, let me tell you, you don't have to be anywhere connected to Arizona. This isn't a local book. Um, if you're from Arizona, you're certainly going to recognize some of the places. But the, the book is really about the stories and, and the fun encounters and the connections to wildlife and beautiful places. And uh, it's a great read. Um, you can, again, we mentioned it a bunch of times. So hopefully Sam gets like 3,000 new Instagram <laughs> followers out of this. Uh, Sam.Lowry, L-A-W-R-Y. If you do nothing else, I don't care if you review this podcast. Just go to Sam's Instagram account and follow him. Um, and uh, thanks, guys, Tom, Thank Chris, you. Sam. Thank you. Thanks Good. for being on the podcast. Uh, I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, everybody. Awesome. <laughs>